0: Eternal God, we know that you are here among us, that you welcomed us into this place. So God, would you continue to move among us, to open us in the thoughts of all of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please have a seat. Last week, we read a passage from the book of Acts that gave us some insight into how the earliest Christians became a community. A community with a deep, rich faith that radically reordered their lives, reoriented the way that they lived. We focused on one verse in particular from Acts chapter 2. It was verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These are four marks, four priorities, four habits of the church. Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which is Scripture. We devote ourselves to fellowship, which is the building of deep faith-forming relationships, and then inviting new people into that same kind of relationship. We devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. And that's talking about every time we gather together. That's amazing when you think about it, that having dinner with a spouse, having a family meal with cousins can be a way that our faith grows. But most specifically, when we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, we're talking about around this, the Lord's table. When we are gathered around the communion table and are fed by Jesus Himself, we devote ourselves to prayer, which is an opportunity for each of us day by day by day to connect with and to commune with God. The earliest Christians devoted themselves to these practices. We put active daily effort toward them because doing so allows Christ to sit at his rightful place, which is at the center of our lives, at the center of our community. In other words, these are the ways that we live Christ-centered lives. These are the ways that we become a Christ-centered community community, and that's what sets the church apart from every other type of organization, from every other gathering of people. The church is a Christ-centered community. And what we'll talk about this morning is that not only is the church Christ-centered, Christ-centered, other-focused. So we're going to read a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the ancient city of Corinth, and he wrote it to address some challenges that they were facing. In particular, Paul had heard that certain members of the church were trying to enhance their own status. They were trying to gain power for themselves on the basis of having particular spiritual gifts. In essence, there were certain people in the church That're insisting that the church, instead of being this Christ-centered, other-focused community, really needed to be a self-centered, self-focused community, particularly focused on themselves and their spiritual gifts. Well, And Paul says to the church, "Listen, the church is a body made up of, made up of diverse members with diverse gifts." No one member is, any, is it more important than any other one member. In fact, each and every member plays a unique and essential role for the gift of the whole. No individual is more important than any other individual. No individual's gift is more important than another individual's gift. But there is one thing that's more important than anything else that's what he talks about in chapter 13. So we're going to read that. The text is in your bulletin. We're going to have it on the screen as well. So chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand, so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions And if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. All these things that Paul mentions are important. Speaking in tongues, having prophetic powers, understanding and knowledge, faith that can move mountains, learning how to give generously and sacrificially, these are gifts of the Spirit, but they don't mean anything without love. Love is the one thing that's more important than any other thing. But the way Paul talks about love, it's, it's not just one among virtue, among a list of virtues. Love is more like a state of being, a posture toward the world. Because love is how God intends for us to use every of his kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is patient. Love is kind. And if love is a state of being, if love is a posture toward life, then everything we do ought to be described by those words. Everything we do, God's expectation is that we do it patiently and kindly. That's what love is. Love's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. my eye. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is a state of being. It's a posture toward life, and it does not insist on its own way. And if you think about American politics right now, if you think about various conflicts about the world right now, if you think about conflicts in the United Methodist Church right now, what do you think would happen if the various sides or one of them stopped insisting on their own way? Think about the conflict, any conflict that might be going on in your life with somebody you love. What what would happen if one or both of you stopped insisting on your own way? Now, I'm really good at this in the worst possible way. What I mean is I'm really good at insisting on my own way. In our house, we have hand towels, and my hand towel goes on the right-hand side. That's where we know which one is mine. It's on the right-hand side because I... And and what's the point of being right if you're not going to get your way? What's the point of knowing the answer if you're not going to make the decision? If you're right, you should get to make the decision. If you know the truth, everyone else should do what you think should be done. If you know the right way, if you know the right answer, if you know the right way to parent, if you know the right way to make an omelet, if you're part of the right political party, if, you're, if you know the right way to interpret Scripture, if you know the right way to whatever, if you know the right way, you should win, even if you have to fight, right? Well, I don't know, but Paul says that way of living, that posture towards not love And Paul isn't suggesting that we just accept evil, justice, and in whatever forms they present themselves. But it turns out that insisting on your own way is the quickest way to turn a Christ-centered, other-focused life into a self-centered, self-focused life. Let's keep going. Verse 8, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. So this is part of the reason why Paul says love is most important, why love is not like all the other gifts, because love is eternal. It's permanent, somehow existing beyond the here and now. Verse 9, for now we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a childish ways. In other words, I started being patient. I started being kind. I stopped insisting on my own way. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. We may never know it by watching the news or political debates or sporting events or just about anything else that happens in the world. But there's one thing that's more important than anything else. Without love, we have nothing. There's one thing that's more important than being right or powerful or honored or victorious or in charge. If we do not love, if we do not have love, we are nothing Because we love has been revealed in Jesus Christ. God's love in Christ is love that is not envious and is not boastful or arrogant or rude, not irritable or resentful. It's a love that's patient and kind and bears all things and hopes all things and endures all things. It's love in Christ that never ends. It's the same love that we are called to share with the world. Now, is such a thing even possible can we actually live a love that actively expresses itself in patience and kindness, rejoicing in truth and bearing believing? In. As individuals, no, never. None of us by ourselves can reach the height of love that Paul describes. We are real in the world through the church. Through the church, we live out the love of God that Christ centered other focused community of believers to be the church in Corinth or in Belhair is to be an agent of God's love in the world not seeking our own advantage but working for the good of others not seeking the good for ourselves but seeking the good of others love doesn't insist on its own way because the love of God seeks not its own good but the one of but the good of the one who is loved that's Jesus he emptied himself He emptied himself so that we, might. God has put our church here at the corner of Bel Air and Newcastle, not so that we can be strong, not so that we can build ourselves up, not so that we can be anything except agents of God's love in the world, so that we can give ourselves and seek the good of everybody who lives in the shadow of this steeple, of everybody who lives in the neighborhoods that surround our church, of everybody who drives past this intersection every single day. Now, we don't always get it right. We'll always have room to grow as individuals and as a church, but I want to share with you in the rest of our time this morning some of the ways that our church is living out the love of God, seeking the good of others. For a few weeks now, you've been filling out these Because of Bel Air posters. Keep doing that. There's more by the coffee bar this morning. Fill out those posters. Share your story of the love of God, a witness to some of the ways that our church has an impact, some of the ways some of the other-focused because of Bel Air stories. So because of Bel Air, this is the first one, because of Bel Air, hungry people have food to eat. And I'm starting here this morning because we're doing, we've done something with this today. Led by our community outreach group, we put together 25 Thanksgiving food boxes for families from a local elementary school that, that are gonna need some food over this Thanksgiving break. So we put together 25 boxes full of food that we're going to give away to people who need food because of bel-air hungry people have food to eat and beyond that all year long our partnership with christian community service center means that uh, we can when people when hungry people come to the church we have a place where their hungry people have food to eat second one because of bel-air crises don't become catastrophes now this is not a highly they in crisis Sometimes it's an emotional, a mental, a spiritual crisis, and they need care or support of some kind. Sometimes that means connecting them with people or ministries of the church. Sometimes that means connecting them with uh, professionals that, that we trust. Whatever the situation, people come to the church because they believe that this is a place where they can find help, and it is. This is a place where they can find help. Sometimes people come to the church because they're in financial crisis almost always because of an unexpected medical bill. And I'm so proud that our church is able to help. I'm so proud that we're able to help people in those kinds of situations. Just a couple of examples. This year, to pay their rent and to pay for dad's cancer treatment. Now, those, that's not a choice they should have to make. And because of our church, they were able to do both of those things. Because of Bel Air, an individual from our neighborhood was able to keep the lights on and by medicine that her child needed. Again, it's not a choice that anybody should have to make, and because of our church, they didn't have to make a choice. They could do both. These are just a handful of examples of how, because of Bel Air, a crisis didn't become a catastrophe. I I won't go on too long, but I want to share one more broad way that our church is is making a difference out in the world. So, because of Bel Air, children, near and far, Experience love in tangible ways, in real, significant ways. Just some examples. Every week, a couple of hundred kids come to school here at our school for little children. Kids have been coming to school here for 50 years now. Every week, a couple of hundred kids love them. They have a safe, caring place that nurtures their bodies, minds, and souls. They have a place because of Bel-Air. That's every week. Every year we work with the foster care system in our city to provide Christmas gifts, graduation gifts, and birthday parties for children who at this season of life don't have a family to call their own. Because of Bel Air, those foster kids know that somebody is thinking about them, that somebody cares for them, that somebody is there for them in those important moments of their lives. That's every year. This year we have a couple of thousand kids registered for CCSC's Jingle Bell Express and in a few weeks they're going to fit in different things that will help them and their families celebrate Christmas in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Last one, support one working group of orphans in Rwanda. It was a group of 107 orphans in Rwanda who were in extreme poverty. Over the course of their three-year partnership with Zoe, with our church's support, they've, uh, they've learned to farm, they've learned to start businesses, they've learned to support each other and to begin to build self-sustaining, flourishing lives. So over the course of these three years, they're gonna graduate this winter. Over the course of those three years, they've gone from extreme poverty to a self-sustaining life that they are proud of. And it's amazing the work that they've done, the, the journey they've been on, but more amazing is the fact that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, took hold of some of the people of this church who stepped up to sponsor even more working groups, four new groups to be exact, and next year our church is going to start. It means that by next year, our church and the people of our church will be, will be partnering with Zoe to support an additional 500 orphans in Rwanda. So that's over 600 total. That's a whole elementary school of orphans. And because of Bel Air, they're leaving behind hunger, poverty, and insecurity and entering into a life of dignity, safety, and security. Friends, God has put us here in this place on purpose and with a purpose. God has put us here at the corner of Bel Air and Newcastle so that we can be agents of God's love in the world, so that we can give ourselves and seek the good of of everybody who lives in the shadow of our steeple. It's it's our purpose. Every day, we live into it, trusting that God will form us into the Christ-centered, other-focused community that God wants us to be. I'm of commitment. You're gonna have the opportunity to recommit yourself to Christ, to recommit yourself to living as a disciple of Jesus Christ and being an agent of, of God's love in the world through this church. We'll gather and we'll pray together. You'll have some responses on the screen. And, and then I'm going to invite you to come forward if you'd like as the Spirit leads you to kneel in prayer for as long as you'd like at this railing. As you come forward, you'll notice that the baptismal font will be open. It's got water in it. And I'd invite you to dip your hands in the water to feel, uh, to feel its, its coolness on your skin. Maybe to, to make the sign of the cross on your by God to be an agent of God's love in the world. If this is your railing, uh, please do so. And as you pray, as you gather at this railing to pray, invite the Holy Spirit into your heart once again so the love of God can fill you and strengthen you and then flow out through you to all the people you meet. Let's pray. God of love and grace, we know that you've chosen us to be your people you've called us to live as agents of your love from right here in this place. So, God, we pray that you would open us up, that in this time inspire our hearts to more deeply devote ourselves to the work you've asked us to do, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Lord, so that we, gathered together as one body, might be your faithful church. Amen. (laughs)